Awesome. Wow, that was very kind of you, Dexter. That was a great introduction. I was I was pretty excited to hear who was going to speak tonight. And then I realized it was me. I was like, oh, wow. Here we go. Um, it's it's really great to be here. Sorry, I'm going to put my, uh, my timer on because uh, I'm a speaker. So that means I normally go over time. So uh, I'm just going to put this on. So hopefully I don't. Cool. And uh, it was great to have that time of giving. Uh, I want to extend it a little bit further. Um, does anyone have any gum or a mint? Because I just had uh, coffee. And um, if we move into a time of application. Yeah, yeah, I'll grab one of those. Thanks, man. It's just like, thank Dexter, because if I pray for you later, I won't have coffee breath. So if I lay my hands on you and start, you know, breathing the spirit over you. Hmm. <sighs> Minty. Spirit of God just entered. Minty. I want to talk to you about encouragement this evening. So um, the word encouragement means to give courage to another person. And it's actually a spiritual discipline. And it's also a ministry of the believers. It's in the Bible that we're meant to encourage one another on a regular basis. Now, why would we need encouragement? Anyone want to make any guesses? It's going to be a bit of an interactive evening. What's the opposite of courage? Fear. Very good. Who said fear? Wow, you get 20 points because I don't have any money. So you get points instead. Points. To, in fact, make it 200. Seeing as we're giving out points, let's be generous. 200 points. Um, yeah, because of fear. And I, I'm guessing I'm the only person in the room that's ever experienced fear, right? Anybody else experienced? There's lots of different fears, right? Um, you can boil most of those fears down to two things. So one fear is the fear of mortality, or that is death or getting hurt. That's why, you know, we're afraid of spiders. That's why I get my wife to deal with the spiders. Okay, I'm from the UK. The largest animal I have to be afraid of is a hedgehog. It's like this little tiny rodent. It's like a mouse with a you know, spiky haircut. That's, that's, that's what a hedgehog is. Then I come to Australia and everybody's like, you know, we have the top 10 deadliest animals in the world. Like it's a, they wear it with a badge of honor. It's like, this is great. You know, and you go to the beach and they're like, there's a shack in the water, which is scary. Why would you want to go in the water? But then my other question is, is there's a shack in the water. Where else would a shark be? Apart from in the water. You see, you just got to think about these things. So you've got the fear of mortality. You've got the fear of being harmed or hurt. But then the second fear, which I think is the one that plagues us most of all, is the fear of rejection from others. And that's the thing that really controls our lives, guys. And one of the reasons that it controls our lives is because the way that God has created us as human beings is that we're meant to grow up within families. And then our family is meant to be a nurturing place. That's a caring place that gives us everything that we need to grow. And part of that is God has built into us this thing that when a, when a baby is born, when you were born, you came into the world expecting somebody to be looking for you, to love you, 
And that's how, that's how God made us. And we come into the world with sort of open arms and our parents greet us. And the thing is, is then we are loved. And our natural response to love is to please. And then as we get older, then we walk through different situations where others are unpleased with us for multiple, multiple reasons. And uh, it's very easy to tell um, something that you don't like about somebody. It's very easy to pick out the bad stuff. So if I stand here long enough, I know it's pretty hard because I'm ridiculously good looking, but imagine I wasn't so good looking. You could stand here and then you could think in your head, well, there's this wrong with him and there's that wrong with him. And that's an easy thing to do. So I, I, myself and the rest of the YWAM guys, we're missionaries. So we travel to places all the time and we go into communities and these communities are incredibly broken. And you know what? It's really easy to walk into a community and point out what's wrong. Oh, they've got a lack of education. You know, they've got bad family values. They've got this, they've got that. That's an easy thing to do, guys. A more difficult thing to do is to see people through God's eyes. Who he created them to originally be. Who he made them when he delighted in you when he made you. That's a more difficult thing to do. Can you put that scripture up for me? The one in Philippians, Philippians 4.8, please. So this is a really interesting scripture. It's in the New Testament. It's in a book called Philippians. And uh, it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, Paul's saying this because he's worked through this whole letter and he's got to this point, this is towards the end of this letter, and he's saying to this church in Philippi, saying, guys, the thing that you need to look at is you need to find Jesus in each individual person. Now, one of the reasons for our fear, the one of the reasons for our fear of rejection is because what we do is we look at the person uh, next to us. And so what can happen is, is as we look to the person next to us, um, we think, wow, he's, can you stand up for a second? Okay, uh, let, let's introduce, what's your name? David. Uh, this is David. Uh, David, where are you from? I'm from Korea. Okay, Anya Haseo. Okay, so... This is David. So I look at David, I'm like, wow, it's a good looking guy. He's a good looking guy, isn't he? Say yes. Otherwise, good, otherwise he'd be sad, okay? Okay, so David, is he's a good looking guy. He's from Korea. David, how many languages do you speak? Two. So you speak Korean and English? Yep. Okay, cool. I only speak one language. He speaks more languages than me. Okay, uh, David, do you play the piano? Yes. Okay, I don't play the piano. David plays the piano and I don't play the piano. David, what other instruments do you play? Guitar, drums, uh, and bass. Guitar, drums, and bass. Yeah, so he plays lots of instruments. I don't play all of those instruments. He's like, what, how, how much better than me is he? Okay, sit down for a second. See, cause I don't like standing next to you, man. You make me look bad. Now, here's the thing. That's called comparison. And I'm going to give you a tip, right? I can't tell you how to be happy. Well, I might help you be a little bit happy, okay? But I can definitely tell you how to get depressed. Okay, you ready for this? This is Richard Blake's recipe for depression. <laughs> comparison. 
Man, if you want to feel bad about yourself, if you want to feel like the world's coming to an end, the quickest and easiest way to get depressed is to start comparing yourself with someone else. And it's awful, guys. Actually, the Bible says that comparison is a sin. That means that you're not supposed to do it. Sorry, I'm enjoying my mint. Excuse me for a second. You're not supposed to compare yourself. Here's the thing. You're unique. There's no one like you. There never will be another person like you. There never was, there isn't, and there never will be. You see, God wanted one, but he didn't have one. So he made one, and then he broke the mold. You are unique. Physically, your fingerprints, your DNA, emotionally, intellectually, you're unique. There is no one like you. And when you compare yourself with someone else, you're comparing apples with oranges. They don't, that doesn't work. Now, here's the crazy thing. You already know that you're unique. I just told you, right? That's one of those common things that people know. And I'm going to tell you something else that you know, because that's the kind of teacher I am. I just tell you stuff you know. You're like, yeah, I knew that. Okay, here's the second thing that you know. You are made in the image of God. You're an image bearer of the living God. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to put those two things together. You are made in the image of God and you're unique. What is the implication when you put those two truths together? The implication is, is that there is no one on this planet ever has been or ever will be that can display the nature and character of God the way that you do. You have infinite value on this planet. I want, I I like Dexter. I, I, I really do. Okay, and I want to get to know Dexter. I really want to get to know him. Why? Because there's something of the nature and character of the infinite living God that exists within Dexter and nowhere else. And if I don't value him, if I don't love him, if I don't listen to him, if I don't find out how God speaks to him and how God reveals himself to him, then I'm never going to get to know that. And I love Jesus. And I've made it my life's mission to find Jesus in every other human being. Whether they're a believer, a Muslim, a Hindu, an atheist, even, even, even if they're American. (laughs) I'm just joking, just joking. Any, any Americans in the room? Okay. Just joking, Anna. Okay. Um, But here's the thing, we, we compare And then what we do is uh, to make ourselves feel better, the result of comparison is we judge. In order to sort of pick ourselves up out of the miry pit of comparison, we judge. And, you know, the Bible says that we're meant to encourage one another, guys. Give courage to one another. And so here's the thing. We're called to daily, verbally encourage people to take actions that would encourage other people as well. There's a whole ministry in this, guys. I want to tell you a story about a guy named Barnabas. So in the New Testament, there was this guy named Barnabas, originally from Cyprus, but he spent a lot of time in Jerusalem. And uh, after um, Pentecost, when the early church was born, uh, Barnabas um, became a believer and uh, or gave his life to Jesus. And uh, Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement or son of exhortation, right? And uh, he was an encourager. 
Uh, and he did it in lots of different ways. One of the first things we learn about Barnabas is that he saw people that were poor and needy. And so he took um, some land that he owned and he sold that land. And then he gave the money uh, to the church to be able to look after the poor and the needy. But there was something else about Barnabas, man. He didn't just, he didn't just use his material gifts. He used his whole life to encourage others. You see, what happened was, is there was this guy named Saul, and uh, he was a persecutor. He was a, he was a hater. He was hating on the church. He was persecuting them. He even got letters from the officials so that he could kill um, other, uh, he could kill believers. And on the road to a city, uh, to a place called Damascus, in order to kill um, some Christians, uh, Jesus met him and turned his life around. And he changed his name to Paul, the Apostle Paul. Now, here's the deal, though, is that he, when, he, when he, uh, he first preached the gospel in Damascus, got in a bit of trouble, and then he fled from there because they were going to kill him. And he went to Jerusalem, and he tried to interact with the disciples. But because they knew him from his past life, they didn't want to interact with him. Now, I think that's really important, guys, because the disciples were made up of people that had a very let's just call it a colorful set of past lives. And Jesus had welcomed them into his fellowship. But here was this other guy that had, that was a persecutor that was against them and had now changed his, uh, God had changed his heart, but they wouldn't welcome him in. And they rejected Paul. And Barnabas actually, he, 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 he wasn't happy with that. And so what he did is he went and he spoke with Paul and he got to know Paul's story. And then what he did was he acted as a bridge and brought Paul in alongside and introduced him to the rest of the group of believers and the disciples in Jerusalem. Encouragement means never holding somebody's past against them. Encouragement means believing that this person can walk out in the fullness of who God made them to be, to be an image bearer of him. And that although we make mistakes, a hundred billion mistakes, they're washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. Encouragement means not holding somebody's past against them and not becoming a hindrance to somebody's life being transformed by your opinion of them. Paul went on to um, be a missionary and he brought the gospel all the way up into Europe. And Paul changed hundreds of thousands of lives. And through Paul, the gospel broke out from its roots in Judaism and actually went to the nations. That might never have happened if Barnabas hadn't have given him a go and encouraged him. Barnabas is weaved into the story of Paul's beginnings, even uh, bringing him to Antioch. In Antioch was the city where the believers were first called Christians. It means little Christ. That means that they were so discipled and they were so in love with Jesus that they were walking, talking, thinking and acting like Jesus to the extent that they said, you must be little Christ's Christians. In Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, they're in the middle of a prayer and worship time and God speaks and says, I want these two guys to go on a missionary journey. And they go on this missionary journey and they end up taking this guy named John Mark, a young believer with them. 
Now, John Mark, he's a young guy. Um, he's uh, full of fears. He's full of fear. How do we know that he's full of fears? Well, you're going to find out that he's connected with the Gospel of Mark. So the Gospel of Mark in your Bible was uh, Peter's testimony recorded by Mark. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, it talks about the night that Jesus was arrested. He was hanging out in the Garden of Gethsemane. Get, get, he was hanging out in Golgotha, where I can't say it. Anyway, he was there with his, with his bros. And then the army shows up or the centurions show up to arrest him and they all scatter and run. But one of them is so scared, a young man who is so scared, Josh, can you stand up for a second, that as he runs away, this is Josh, okay, um, uh, and now you're thinking that everybody from YOM is incredibly handsome, you'd be right. Okay, so then Josh is Mark, and as he goes to run away, because he wasn't wearing a shirt, he would have been wearing a tunic, right? So as he goes to run away, the centurion grabs him by the edge of his tunic and rips it off him. So he is naked. You can sit down, Josh. (laughs) So Mark is naked. I think it's Mark because why else would this little detail be in there apart from the author putting it in there? But this guy runs away naked into the night. I don't know how scared you need to be to run through the city naked, but Mark was that scared. We also know that he was scared because in the middle of the missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, he actually turns back. They reach a city, uh, I think it's uh, Perga. I, I can't remember. It's in modern day Uh, Turkey anyway. But the next step of the journey would have taken them over a mountain range full of bandits and robbers. And he couldn't, he was so scared. He didn't want to go on that part of the journey that he turned back and he went back to Jerusalem where it was safe and cozy. Mark was full of fears. And to the point where Paul himself, again, interesting, The next time they went on a missionary journey, they were going to go back and encourage the churches that they'd planted. And and then what happened was, is Paul said, I don't want to take Mark with me because he deserted me once. I don't want to be deserted by him again. Interesting, hey? Paul himself, who didn't want his own past life held against him, held Mark's mistakes against him and didn't want to take him. And then Barnabas and Paul have a Barney, as we would say in England, or they have an argument. And then what happens is, is that Barnabas ends up taking Mark with him. And you know what? Mark's life is restored. Restored to the point that he goes back to Jerusalem after his missionary journeys and he helps Peter record his gospel. And today we have the gospel of Mark changed hundreds of thousands of lives because Barnabas wouldn't allow his past mistakes to be held against him. We know in 2 Timothy, which was the last letter that Paul uh, wrote probably towards the end of it, he actually, he actually we know that he got reconciled with Mark because he says uh, to Timothy, if Mark is there, please bring him to me because he is of practical help to the ministry. A young life that was turned around and changed through encouragement. Now I want to finish with something. Uh, I've got 10 minutes And uh, this might get a little bit uncomfortable because I'm not going to talk about people thousands of years ago and thousands of miles away. I'm going to talk about people in this room right now. I look around this room and I see lots of really uh, attractive people. Yeah, that's right. That's you. Okay, now here's the thing. I I see lots of wonderful faces. I see lots of Asian faces. (gasps) He pulled the Asian card. 
I also see um, some Australian faces and some young people and some young people that look Asian but were probably brought up in Australia. So that's okay. You don't know who you are. I don't know you either. (laughs) Don't shoot the messenger. Now, here's the thing. I want to point something out, and this is going to be uncomfortable for me too. I'm going to point something out about Asian culture in general. And I know that not all Asian people are the same, okay? There's different flavors. But I also, I also, I also am not Australian, so I want, to, I, want to, I want to talk about Australian culture. But there's something interesting about uh, Asian culture. In Asian culture, it is not the done thing in traditional Asian culture to go up to somebody and tell them something that you really like about them to encourage them, or I'm going to go one step further, to go to a parent or someone who's older than you and say to them, hey, can you tell me something that's awesome about me? Can you encourage me? As a young person, can you come to me and can you tell me what's amazing about me? Uh, Some people know what I'm talking about right now, okay? Now, here's the thing. As young people, do we need to hear that? Yes, we do. Now, I I could spend a long time telling you some wonderful things about Asian culture. Let me just talk about Chinese culture for a second. There's lots of wonderful things about Chinese culture, and I want to spend time celebrating it. But this aspect needs to change, guys. Because young people need encouragement. Young people need words of affirmation. We need to be able to go to our parents and our elders, our uncles and our aunties and say, you know what? I'm not feeling great about myself. Please tell me what you see of God in me. What is wonderful about me? I'm going to say something. I'm going to go even further. I've spoken to Chinese young people. This is in mainland China. I've done trips there. And I've said to them, have you ever heard your parent verbally say, I love you? And they said, no. And I said, well, have you ever asked? And they said, no. It would be very rude to ask a parent, do you love me? I want to say to you guys, there's something inherent in us as children that need to hear the words, I love you, from our fathers and from our mothers. Now, I read, I've done a lot of reading around this, and uh, I I read this one, he's an American Chinese psychologist, and he says there's five love languages. Do you guys know the five love languages? There's like words of affirmation, physical touch, gifts, quality time, and acts of service. And what he did was he said, I want to translate the five love languages for Chinese Americans. This is, and so this is what he said. Words of affirmation. Zip. It's called a lecture. <laughs> so that, that's how parents show words of affirmation for their children. They give them a lecture. This is what you should do. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Gifts. Okay. So how do, get, uh, how do gifts work? Well, I pay your tuition. That's my gift. But you see, the thing is, is that's reciprocity, guys. Reciprocity is giving for mutual benefit. I'll pay your tuition so that you can get a good job so you can look after me when I'm older. Ooh, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Okay. What about physical touch? He said physical touch doesn't 
Why? Because in traditional Confucian thought, to be stoic, to be able to maintain your emotions and not allow them to spill over was seen with a high value. It was virtuous to be stoic. And so the idea of your emotion bubbling over and you saying, I love you, (laughs) and giving them a hug is a no-no. Acts of service. Here, eat some food. Here, I cook for you. Eat food. (laughs) Acts of service. Quality time, no quality time, no time to play. Study. (laughs) It's true, study. You know, I I used to, uh, uh, where I live in Perth, next, very close to, I could look out of my window and there was this place called, I think it's called North Shore something or other, but it's like this, it's like this training center. It's like an extra tuition class. And every Saturday morning, I'd see all these, these beautiful little Asian boys and girls. You know, I was like, oh my, being shoveled into this place. You know, and I'm, th- I'm thinking, oh my, man, my plan for Saturday, I'm going to watch some footy. I might not even get dressed today, man. I'm going to like just veg out. And then here's all these Asian boys and girls. <laughs> going into a school on a Saturday. You know, um, in Korea, actually, it's the same thing. I, I found out in Korea that they go to school very early in the morning and then they don't come home to maybe 9 or 10 at night. And, and then uh, it goes for six days a week. And then on Sunday, they go to church and then they get half a day off. How are you meant to build a relationship with your family if that's, if that's the quality time that you have? Now, I want to say it's the same thing for Australians, okay? So I, I'm not having a go. But it's the same thing for Australians. If you want to make an Australian person feel very uncomfortable, go up to them, look them in the eye, and with lots of love, tell them something that they're wonderful at. And they will squirm and hide. Like if you go up to an Australian, you say, oh, man, that was, that was wonderful worship. You're a great singer. And they'll say something like, yeah, not bad for someone who's tone deaf. Like they'll make a joke out of it and they'll use humor to deflect it away. Because encouragement, verbal affirmation and encouragement, giving courage is not part of the culture. There are lots of wonderful things about Australian culture. My wife is Australian. My two sons are Australian. I love Australia. This is now my home. But that aspect has to change because it doesn't match up with the encouragement that I see in Jesus Christ. You want to change the world, guys. Start encouraging people. Start believing in them. Start seeing the good things in them and calling it out and saying to them, you know what, I've seen this in you and it's wonderful. Let me, let me encourage you. And speak it in and you could change someone's life and they could go on and change hundreds of thousands of lives. So let's practice. Why? Because you look like you need practice. So this is what we're going to do. I know I've bored you enough with, uh, with my sharing. I want you to pick somebody in the room that you know, and I want you to encourage them. I want you to tell them something about them that is godly and wonderful and brilliant. And you're not allowed to make a joke of it. You've got to do it seriously. Every, all of a sudden, everybody's squirming. This is horrible. Now, wait, wait, wait. This is not encouragement. Watch this. Dexter, 
I, I, I think you're amazing. You're wonderful. You're so like Jesus. You know what? I love how generous you are and so giving. Can you lend me 50 bucks? Okay. That's not, that's not encouragement. That's flattery. That's deception. That's blowing rainbows up people's bums. That's, that's saying nice things to get something back off them. Okay, that is not what Jesus does. And when you encourage somebody, you recognize that they're an image bearer of God and you speak it out and you say, wow, this about you reminds me of Jesus. And I want you to know, I want you to have courage that you're, that you're actually growing into the likeness of Christ, that you're maturing in your faith. Can we do that? This is like the bare minimum that we should do, guys. Okay, before we do this, I, be, I talked a lot about failures and mistakes in the past. Just want to share this really quickly with you. Has anyone in this room ever committed a sin? Okay, great. I'm not alone. Man, uh, I've been in some churches and I was the only one with my hand in the air. I was like, oh, wrong place. Okay. Now, what is, what is a sin? A sin is a deliberate decision. It's when God tells you, don't do this or do this, and you do completely the opposite, deliberately, rebelliously, you do that. That's a sin. Now, if God can take care of my deliberate, rebellious choices, is God big enough to deal with my honest mistakes? So why are we so afraid of making mistakes? Why do we walk around pretending like we've never made mistakes? As believers, we should be the most radical, risk-taking people on the face of the earth. Because we know that our God cannot just deal with our deliberate, rebellious mistakes, but actually, He can deal with our honest mistakes. What if you're in worship? And you're like, God, what would you like me to do? And you hear the voice of God, and God says, go to Morocco. You're like, awesome, get your backpack on, get on a plane. Woo, here we are in Morocco. And then God said, I said, Moscow. (laughs) Don't worry, don't worry, we can work with it. Let's play, let's play, we'll play with it. There's a thing called fear of missing out, FOMO. Who's heard of FOMO? Look, you're not going to miss out if you got Jesus. Don't be afraid of mistakes, guys. And because God won't hold your mistakes against you. He died on a cross to deal with them. So what I want you to do is I want you to take the next minute. I'm going to time you because you look like you need practice. And I want you to go to someone in the room and I want you to encourage them. And then we're going to do one more thing in application. You have 60 seconds starting now. You're going to need to stand up, stand up, start moving.
a great supervisor. It's such courage to me to know that you know I can raise children and do it well and instill good values in those. You guys could take more than a minute. It's good. It's good. I really, uh, this is really incredible. I was really impressed with it. I don't really want to do it. I'm going to take more than a minute. But something that is very good Okay. Okay, how did we do? So so just help me, we'll do a quick poll, show of hands. Who found that incredibly awkward? Okay. Awesome, good, most people. Now here's the thing, guys, it's just like when you first started riding a bike. Really awkward, maybe you fell off, maybe you didn't do it so well. But the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. And it's so, so needed, guys. Encouragement can save somebody from taking their life. Encouragement can save somebody from addiction. Encouragement can save somebody from making a terrible choice and committing a terrible crime. Encouragement can see somebody give their life to Jesus. Encouragement can see somebody devote their life to sharing the gospel, guys. It is an incredibly powerful tool, incredibly powerful. And that's why we are encouraged to do it daily. Now, here's the thing I want to finish with. I'm wondering if the worship guys can just jump up and help me out. I just want to finish. I've mentioned a lot about the need for us to be encouraged. And ultimately, we need to get our courage from God. But as we stand and go into a time of worship right now, I just want, if you recognize after me sharing that for you, there's been a sort of a deficit, an encouragement deficit. Perhaps you notice areas of fear in your life. Perhaps you notice areas of rejection and, uh, and you just want prayer. Well, all I want you to do is as we stand in worship, I just want you to put one hand in the air, okay? If you recognize that you, you need prayer, to receive encouragement directly from God. And then there's a few of us that are moving around and we just want to pray for you as we, just as we finish this evening.